It's safe to say United didn't meet expectations against Brighton. In the first half, an inability to play through midfield, combined with some disastrous defensive sequences, saw Graham Potter's side comfortably play through the Red Devils on Ten Hag's debut, leaving them with a two-goal deficit that was too great to overcome in the second half. The frustrating defeat left us asking the same questions we've been asking for a year now. Why are a team of United's prestige and talent level so vulnerable? Why do inferior teams so often look much more coherent? And perhaps the most burning question, what's going on with the midfield, and how can United fix it? Today on Devils in the Details Episode 2, Case and I will discuss the tactical issues that face United in build-up and defensive transitions, and the connection between the two areas, before addressing how United could go about fixing the midfield before the window shuts. Case, before we get into it, how are you today? I'm doing all right, Aaron. I'm doing all right. I think the the catastrophizing of the weekend has sort of worn off, especially since I've gotten the opportunity to dig dig back into the details of what happened. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to talk about it today. Yeah, I'm really excited too. I've been uh, I've been reading through all the messages you've been sending me, and I think you have some really cool things to say. And I'll be able to perhaps challenge you with some good questions, and hopefully get something good for everyone because. I think this is something people want to understand. Why is this team still so bad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So without further ado, let's start where possession sequences tend to start, which is in build-up. Before we get into perhaps the greater problems, I thought there were some good elements of United's play in build-up compared to last season in this game. And perhaps they didn't last through the whole match, especially in the second half of the first half. They kind of went away, but... Especially early on, right from the kickoff, I saw some evidence of maybe some new drills and a new overall shape under the new manager. It felt like there was a clear construction of lines for United to play through and build up, at least in theory. What were your impressions of United's build-up play as a system as a whole? And based on what you know about Ten Hag's previous sides, where do you think United have adapted to his typical style of play and where maybe do you think they are still looking to improve or still looking to grow? Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot in this question. I think the first 10, 15 minutes maybe of, of the Brighton match, we saw a lot of what you're looking for. The fullbacks coming, uh, the fullbacks inverting, especially Dallow. Uh, the wingers staying high and wide. A lot of simple stuff like that. But then obviously there, there, there were a lot of pitfalls that showed themselves as we got further into the match. And I think to a certain extent that was a, a matter of um, players losing their composure as we sort of got blitzed by Brighton. But uh, some, some major things, I think something that we're going to see change very soon is De Gea went long way too often. And this is like very specifically against the remit of the, the, the style of play that, that we're going to be playing this season. He, he has to go short. He has to build. And a lot of these wayward long balls, I think, are definitely something that we'll see get cut out uh, as we're we're moving further into the season. Yeah, I think that's the number one thing I think will visibly change. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about De Gea in a bit, but I think sort of part of the issue was, in terms of the long balls, it felt like United were playing themselves into trouble a fair bit. Brighton's a really good pressing side, so this was, you said a few times that it was kind of, a tough first match to test this team, but it just felt like they were creating so many situations where De Gea had to try and hit it over the first man or perhaps a little bit longer range. And we've seen in past seasons that that's something he's really weak at. And 
Yeah, it's something he's going to have to fix this season. Otherwise, a lot of teams are going to try and exploit that. Yeah, I, I, I agree Brighton did a good job of forcing him into making certain decisions. But overall, I'd say a lot of the, the, long, the long balls that he attempted were unforced. I think in a lot of instances, there's available passing options. And they're not just passing options that would immediately be put in a position where they're going to give up the ball. Uh, I think there's a really good example some point in the second half around like the 75th minute where De Gea has Maguire in space right next to him, and he doesn't even have to pick Maguire. He also has Dallow in space next to Maguire, and instead he just goes along to nobody. And it's, a, it's just a really, really curious decision. And I guess it just comes from years of reactive tactics, but I, I, I have to imagine that that's going to stop. I hope so. I think it's the type of thing that will be extremely visible the entire season. Um, if it's not fixed, because I think, at least in my opinion, there has to be like relentless implementation of this approach if United are ever going to get to the level that some of the top teams in this in the Premier League now are playing at. And De Gea is going to be the goalkeeper this season, barring a ridiculous turn of events. And he's going to have to adapt if we keep playing in these situations. Otherwise, we're going to see three or four of these just ridiculous ball giveaways every game. And Felt this way when United played Brighton both times last season. I felt this way this time. It felt like once the ball went back to De Gea, it was either just going straight back to the center backs or United were losing possession. And that's probably me perceptively remembering the times he loses the ball more. But it's also definitely a product of the fact that he really needs to improve and build up. Anything else you want to say about De Gea? I actually, while we're at it, I... Thought he did poorly for both the goals. That's not really what we're here to talk about today, but it's just really frustrating. Yeah, I think a bad day for De Gea. No, no uh, easy way around it. Um, yeah, I, I think I don't know how much we should even really talk about this because you're right. I don't think he's going anywhere, and I don't think at least the maybe the mistakes in build up can be cut out, but the mistakes his his style of play is his style of play, and. Um, we're going to have to deal with the pitfalls for the rest of the season. I'm not sure it's an interesting point of analysis. Yeah, I, I'm not really expecting him to wake up tomorrow and be a phenomenal passer of the ball. Like Robert Sanchez, for example, no, yesterday no. was just hitting guys, right? But one thing I would like to see is maybe a little bit less panic and a little bit more confidence in situations that are a little bit tighter. Because he can pull off short passes. I think maybe we want to focus a little, a little bit more on the elephant in the room, which is the midfield. We'll talk about build-up specifically because we'll go on to the defensive side of this midfield later, but I felt all three of the players who started midfield in this game were having problems, and I think we should maybe talk about each of them individually because I felt that the individual problems were actually probably even more prevalent than problems adapting or early problems adapting to this new system. Starting with Fred, we spoke last week about how he was playing defensive midfield in preseason, and I was a bit skeptical. I hadn't watched the game, so I thought, I'll give it a chance. I am still really skeptical about Fred's ability to execute build-up in this system as a defensive midfielder, especially as a lone defensive midfielder. And I want to know what you think about that. Yeah, <clears throat> I think we can definitely say this was a, a bad... Uh... <laughs> a bad showing if Fred wants to stick there. Um, it's, it wasn't... He played better than that in, in preseason in that same role, but sides are going to press him, and at a fundamental level, in build-up specifically, 
he cannot turn on the ball under pressure. And this is a, this is something – I tweeted about this the other day. This is something that every United midfielder that, midfielder that started on Sunday can't do uh, effectively. Uh, they all have different crutches for dealing with it, and I'll get into it with McTominay and Bruno later. Um, but Fred specifically is just so uncomfortable and in some ways a, seemingly a, a little unaware of his surroundings to the point that everything has to be one touch if he's receiving with his back to goal. And usually that means it's regressive passing rather or lateral passing rather than progressive passing. Um, or blind only, progressive passing. Exactly. Blind progressive. That, that's something he did, the other, he did on Sunday a couple of times where he would receive the ball sort of sort of on the half turn, but not really, and then hit a seemingly blind pass to one of the fullbacks. Um, and it would either go wayward out of, out of play or uh, to an opponent. And it's just a huge hazard, and it means we can't break – not only can we not break pressure, but in a lot of cases it leads to direct ball losses because he'll give it to somebody who's – in a lot of cases he's giving it to a fullback who's getting closed down, and then Dallow or Shaw just has to go long. So I think that's a really that's probably like number one issue with Fred going forward in that position. Yeah, I kind of agree. I I don't think Fred's a, a bad passer when he sort of has the play in front of him, and especially when he's playing into space, I think he can be quite good at passing. I don't think he um I don't think he positions himself badly to re- to sort of have the pass played to him. But he has problems receiving, and then he's so uncomfortable with having men behind him. Because I think there's just this known history of Fred being muscled off the ball in that sort of area right in front of United's box. And he seems so adamant on just avoiding those situations that he basically just needs to, like you said, release the ball. And I I just find that it's going to be kind of not viable for him to be playing in midfield uh, in that role because of that. Like, if you can't receive under pressure and hold the ball and be comfortable releasing it in different areas, that basically defeats the point of the defensive midfielder in this system. Moving on to McTominay, maybe a player with some of the same issues, but some different issues. I think one thing I noticed with McTominay in this particular game was he just totally wasn't moving in configuration with Dalo and Sancho uh, to show for the ball in different in different scenarios. So the fullbacks can be quite narrow at times, I think, compared to perhaps under Solskjaer. And Dalo is coming inside quite often, and I just saw so many times where he would pick up the ball, and there would be acres of space in front of him on the right and in the middle, because McTominay had picked the wrong spot to sort of receive the pass from him. There has been so much discourse about McTominay's ability to position himself to receive the ball in build-up, and I don't think he's as bad as Fred with his back to goal, probably because of his frame, but he's so often in the wrong position to receive. What do you think about McTominay in this game? And I mean, he, he completed the fewest passes on the pitch for United. Um, surely that's a testament to his inability to get on the ball consistently and give other players options. Yeah, I have a history of being hard on McTominay. But I think everybody agrees that he's bad positionally, it, that the mental side of the game is, is not his strength. And I think that's down partially to coaching, partially to his background as a striker in the youth teams. There's a lot of places you can point your finger as to why he struggles with that. Um, but yeah, I agree. He seemed a little aimless at times. 
uh, in build-up, which he sort of always has. Um, his best moments positionally were when he got higher up the pitch, hit space in the box. But I don't even think he's the best midfielder we have at doing that, or even like top three. He's definitely not. Um, he's definitely not. Yeah. So, and so, so I agree. Positionally, he was it was an issue, but also under pressure, his technique just fails him. And and I, I'm not going to sit like sit here and say he's a terrible technical player because we've seen him when he's not under pressure play beautiful passes. He has good ball striking when he's shooting. He's not like totally bereft of any skill in that capacity. But when he has pressure on him. His, he just can't execute, and really simple things become really hard for him. Uh, like, I remember there was an instance where he picked up a, a second ball, dead center on the pitch, uh, in Brighton's third, with passing options, uh, and he wound up taking a touch so poor, trying to set up a shot, that he got a yellow card. Yeah. And that wasn't the only time that happened in this match. He had a pass go out of play for basically no reason, uh, when he was trying to switch play once. Uh it was it was an ugly ugly match from him in possession. Yeah, uh, that's what I got. Uh, as for as for his issues turning on the ball, and I agree, not as bad as Fred's, but still a problem. It's still not a strength of his, and he has tunnel vision. So when he does receive the ball, his his tendency is to sort of be defensive and shield, and then drive away from uh, the pressure with his head down. So he does he misses passing options, and ultimately I think he creates pressing opportunities, which we saw for the first goal. Yeah, I I tend to be just as hard on McTominay as you are. I will say one thing is, I understand why people think he needs to play. I think there are arguments for it. I I get why he continues to play despite his obvious lack of suitability to this system and why he might continue to play beyond this. And the answer to all of those is the fact that he just offers a level of athleticism and defensive mobility that is not in the sort of on-paper playbook of players like Bruno, Eriksson, maybe Van de Beek, and with Fred, the physicality. And there are some elements of that which are true. I think ground coverage in midfield in the Premier League is definitely a huge thing. I think that's part of the reason why the McFred pivot with Fernandez has been such a staple over the past few years is because literally they cover a lot of ground and that can sometimes over that can sometimes compensate for the defensive deficiencies in their game compared to maybe more technical players that United have had but are less athletic like someone like Nemanja Matic uh, or Juan Mata who you would want them on the ball in a possession system more than players like Brendan McTominay but when it comes down to it, they can't keep up with other teams. So I so I do understand why McTominay plays, but when you talk about a role where Ten Hag pretty much completely removed him from the build-up in this game, like he was far from the build-up. At times, he was more advanced than Bruno, I would say for a lot of the game. And if you're going to remove him that much, at what point do you look at someone like Van de Beek, for example, and say he's better in those attacking areas? That's where he made his name. He's better at receiving and probably more viable in build-up. And he might not be as used to defending transitions, but I don't think McTominay is so strong in that area that it warrants this selection every week in light of the problems that he has. But I also want to talk about Bruno, and 
I don't really think he's that proficient receiving in his own half and releasing in his own half. He doesn't have that many moves to get out of pressure, and he makes a lot of really bad decisions in possession. Yeah. Um, I would say we didn't get punished so much for Bruno's uh, failures in buildup in this match as we have in the past. I think he's really just... He knows this about himself. He knows he's not a, a really effective ball carrier. And so his strategy when he does get involved in buildup is if he's under pressure, he kind of just bombs it. Um, and we saw that a couple of times in this match, but for the most part it was in transition, so it wasn't uh, as damaging as it could have been. But yeah, he, he can't carry the ball the same way McTominay and Fred can't. Uh, he's not really... He's honestly, for as productive as he is as an attacking midfielder, He's like very low on the, the totem pole of productive dribblers. He really doesn't even try to. Yeah, and so uh, between the three of them, you, you really you don't get any dribbling ability, any ball-carrying ability, at least in a progressive sense, in a pressure-breaking sense, which is funny because I, I remember reading a quote, and I'm, I'm not big on tactico-worshipping, but... Guardiola, I remember, said at one point that uh, all of his players have to be able to carry. Have to be able to dribble. Yeah, exactly. And none of United's midfielders can dribble. I think that's in isolation. I would say that doesn't have to be a problem, but when you're playing Brighton, it is a problem <laughs> because the, the, there's no way to break pressure uh, consistently if your midfielders aren't at least comfortable taking touches and seeking passes. They don't have to beat a man. They don't have to be spectacular. Well, Brighton are, in terms of a pressing sense, sort of like Liverpool and City light, where they have the ability to press you and win the ball, but not the ability as much so to hurt you from it. So if you can't do it against Brighton, how do you expect to go to those teams and be able to play at all, right? And not only that, you're slowly seeing a lot of teams in the Premier League starting to adopt approaches like Brighton. So I don't think we're heading towards a world where it's going to be easier to play a midfield with players like this. Um, and I think it's something you have to adapt to. The one workaround that we sort of saw personnel-wise in this match later on was to move Ericsson into the deep role. It seemed strange at first, but I actually think it worked pretty well. Ericsson was a lot better at evading pressure. His passing was obviously way better than any of the stuff we were seeing from Fred or McTominay or even Bruno. And it seemed like he just had a much more innate sense of how to make the team tick from the back and, and get them out of their half. There was a little bit of maybe game state effects where United were down and therefore had more incentive to commit numbers forward, give him options, whereas Brighton had incentive to drop back. And that might have helped him a little bit, but what did you think about Ericsson's cameo in this game and how he sort of helped United get a little bit of a footing back in this game? And, and while we're at it, talk about Van de Beek's cameo as well, if you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'd say moving Ericsson back uh, was pretty influential in how the second half wound up going. Obviously, game state played a huge part. I'm going to say that before I get into this because that is relevant. Brighton went up and they got less active pressing to a certain extent. They still pressed, though, and they still moved into United's half when they had opportunities to. And Erickson handled those moments really well. I think his two-footedness is a huge asset. He's way more comfortable taking multiple touches when he's receiving back to goal, like I was just talking about than the three midfielders who started the match. So while I agree, there's definitely limitations to this, and it's pretty ridiculous that we're at this point in the summer and he's the only person who's come in who can 
help in this way, it was a really, really positive thing to see. And, and I, I do hope he gets more opportunities deeper in midfield. In the presser after the match, I think Tenoch, like indicated that that's the the way things are going to go in the future because he said he he doesn't see Erickson playing that high up the pitch going forward. I want to see him play in in that deep midfield role, at least with this personnel in a, in a lot of matches. <laughs> As for Donnie, I thought it was a good cameo. I thought, I thought it, was it was a fine. good cameo. Yeah, it wasn't wowing, but I, I you you sort of alluded to this earlier. If McTominay is going to play the role he played early on. I think Donnie should be the one playing those those minutes uh, because I think he basically does everything that's demanded of that role at a higher level. We 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 can get into how defensively frail that midfield potentially could be, but honestly, I think you have to try it. I think you have to try it given how frightful that first half was uh, in build up. For what it's worth, I think. Bruno Fernandes will end up playing that role if Erickson moves into the six. I think what's going to happen is, like we spoke about, Bruno just isn't that kind of player who's going to really effectively get you into the opposition half. But what he is is guaranteed production in the final third, which is something that this team's going to need to perform this season. And I don't see him being dropped, but I don't see Erickson, Bruno, and Van de Beek being a viable midfield. So I think the obvious solution becomes you put Erickson... At the base, you go with Fred in front of him to sort of, one, we'll talk about his defensive game and how that might suit him a little bit better in the second half, but you what what you're essentially able to do is put Erickson deep and then protect him with two players who are extremely mobile and who are going to hopefully adapt more to an out-of-possession system. And I think that might help you get a little bit more out of Bruno and also help you get a little bit more out of your half. Yeah, I agree. I'd say, this is sort of going backwards, but real quick, I'd say our best passage of, of play during that match was from about the 80th minute to the 87th minute. Um, so if anybody wants to go back and be optimistic, watch those seven, eight minutes. And during that period, Erickson was collecting the ball from the back four and then just accelerating the pace of play. Uh, but not in a frantic way, in the way Fred or Bruno would do it, where it sort of just hit and hope he was making simple vertical passes after taking a touch or two. Um, and then everything was falling into place from that. And we created a couple of really good chances during that period. Um, there were some execution issues from other players, but for the most part, those issues were in the final third, which is a huge improvement. If you watch that first half. Great. One more personnel based issue here. I'm going to say something I don't usually say. I thought United looked a lot more cohesive when Ronaldo came onto the pitch. Part of the problem in midfield was actually down to dynamics in the forward line. We got a question this week that we both thought was pretty good from Jonathan. He asked, what effect did not having a nine have on United's ability to play vertically? How did that inability translate into other bad things? He also asked how this might be fixed if there were no incomings. We'll talk about the incomings a little bit later, but in terms of not having a nine, I specifically thought that Erickson, first of all, there was there kept being these sort of switches between Erickson and Bruno, where Erickson was actually showing for passes from Lissandro and Buildup, which I thought was really strange. I think it should consistently be not the striker who's doing that. Um, and I also think United just, 
I, they just don't have the right wingers to be playing a kind of system where you don't have a natural striker. Because the wingers are also the types of players who like to get on the ball and be a little bit more involved in the ball progression, in the on-ball creativity. And if you have a striker that's dropping deep, it makes it really easy for the opposition center backs. I remember last season against Atleti, in that case it was actually Ronaldo who was the sort of, I don't want to say the problem because that's become a thing, but his tendency to drop deep was causing issues where Atleti's center backs were basically just holding the line and not doing anything else for long stretches of the game. And that is not, in my opinion, an optimal way to sort of threaten opposition defenses. And I guess if Ronaldo was problematic there, why was he the solution in this half is a question I'd answer by saying he might not be the ideal last line presence, but right now he's the presence that United have. Martial is the only one you could argue, and even he's probably got the same issues as Ronaldo, and he's also injured. My answer is, I think Ronaldo becomes sort of necessary if you don't upgrade the front line in this side, um, or Martial. And even though I don't think they're necessarily the types of players United should be looking to play this season, I think they cause problems in attacking phases. I think it just fundamentally allows you to structurally plan around having a striker more than other players in this side do. Case, what are your thoughts on that? For the most part, I agree. Ronaldo changed the match to some extent. He, he just You have to have somebody running in behind consistently, pulling center backs wide from central areas. And he did that, and we created chances as a result. And we were also able to exit pressure more easily because there was a a threat over the top, which it has t- has two effects. Because, like like you said, uh, the center backs can if you don't have somebody running in behind, the center backs can kind of just sit there and then play everything that's in front of them more aggressively. But once Ronaldo came on, it, it opened up space between the lines. We moved forward much quicker. Um, that creates threat. As for um, other bad things that not having a striker created, something that somebody actually pointed out to me, and I agreed with once once it was pointed out to me, is that. Uh, Rashford got pulled really narrow, especially in the first half. Um, and he wound up getting onto chances in the second half, probably partially as a result of this configuration, even though it changed to a certain extent. Um, but he got pulled really narrow, and that's a departure from what you'd expect from this side, having the wingers really wide. And I think that actually hurt Shaw to a certain extent going forward, because Shaw was forced wide, whereas he's probably more effective when he's underlapping. We've seen... Um, yeah, and it was sort of just a... Uh, a switching of roles that I think isn't necessarily productive for the the dynamics in the team. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if with a real striker starting a match, Rashford starts wider, um, and whether that's good or bad for him and for the team. For what it's worth, I thought this was a pretty promising... We're not going to get to this in the second half, so I thought this was a pretty promising cameo from Rashford considering the level he was at last season. I didn't see him making... Like, he wasn't doing the thing he does when he's in sort of out of form and out of shape where he just dribbles into the first man every time he gets the ball. Um, And I also thought he didn't really get there quick enough to make good connections, but he was getting on the, he was getting on the end of crosses and he actually, I don't want to say should have scored, but he could have scored twice in a very short space of time. I think it was, it might've been just after Ronaldo came on. There was one at the back post and then one that was one-on-one with the keeper. And I think if he continues to do that, he's going to end up being probably, as it stands, the second best forward in this team behind Sancho this season. 
I think he will score goals if he continues to do things like that. And I was happy to see that it was better than what we saw last season, which was really dire from a player who I don't necessarily think was dominating the league, but I thought he was a pretty good starter for this team under Solskjaer. Yeah, broadly, I agree with that. I think something that you reminded me of when you said this is the whole team took fewer stupid shots in this match. And I don't know if that's signal or noise, but if if that happens, if this side stops taking, if every player in this side that takes two stupid shots a match instead takes one or fewer stupid shots a match, this team will be way better. And Rashford is one of those players who did not take nearly as many stupid shots. Yeah, I thought the worst shot was actually Lissandro's shot. Yeah, but it was almost a banger. It was like, you're like, I totally agree. But he, like, it looked like it was going in for a second from my angle. I, I saw comparisons to Marcus Rojo after that shot, and I just that <laughs> that ruined that ruined my day because Lissandro's becoming <laughs> one of my favorite players really quickly. Anyway, okay, so the primary thing is you need to get out of your half if you want to get chances at goal. But another thing we're going to talk about in the second half is the fact that the issues in build-up cause a lot of the issues in defensive transition. Part of conceding defensive transitions is losing the ball. It's not just how you defend them. And having worse build-up means losing the ball more and losing the ball in worse areas. I think the best way to fix United in defensive transition is to lose the ball less in build-up. And we're also going to talk about defensive transition in the second half and where United were conceding situations and how they were defending them poorly, exactly what was going wrong. Stay tuned. All right, we promised it in part one. We're here with part two. Let's talk a little bit about defensive transition. I'm going to start again in midfield. I thought this was a terrible game from the midfielders defensively, especially Fred. Let's talk a little bit more about Fred's issues defensively. I think Fred is overall a good player defensively, but maybe this specific match and this specific role gave a little bit more light to some of his weaknesses and why they maybe make him a poor fit for the role he was playing in this match. Talk to me about Fred overcommitting a lot in defensive transition and making a lot of maybe positional errors um, when the play was against him. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd say there's probably, and this is taking really broad strokes and cutting important things out, but there's probably two main things you want from a lone six defensively, and that's uh, cutting off passing lanes, delaying in transition, and two, uh, in settled possession, marking players in between the lines in front of the center backs. I'd say those are the two big things defensively from that role, whatever that role really is. And I'd say Fred was awful at both of those things in this match. Um, He jumped in, which we know he does, in transition over and over again. I'd I'd say he probably made one of the biggest mistakes of the match, and that was jumping in for the second goal uh, on the wing, covering Erickson when uh, the press was broken. That was so bad. I saw that immediately. Yeah, yeah. That was catastrophic. Uh, But even for the first goal, he jumped in. And then uh, sort of moving on to the second thing that I thought he did really poorly was he, he completely, like he just doesn't mark players sitting in space in front of the center back sometimes. And I don't know why he does this. I'm wondering if somebody at some point told him, hey, if you're playing as a six screen space like screw like screen the the area or in front of the center backs don't focus on individual players which is generally a good principle but he was just ball watching sometimes not screening space 
And that's also what happened on the first goal, which allowed two markers to wind up in Lissandro's space and then ultimately led to the goal because Lissandro wound up overloaded. So Shaw had to come over and then you had a player at the back post just tap it in. And then those are just the goals. Like you can go through the whole match and find even more mistakes. I think this was a really, really bad notch on Fred's defensive midfield CV. Pretty much agree. I'm So instead what I'm going to do is present a few caveats, I guess. So number one, I don't think Fred is a defensive midfielder. Not only does this role not work for him in possession, I also think it it neutralizes a lot of his defensive strengths. To me, defensively, Fred's main... The main benefit of playing Fred, and probably the most standout part of his entire game relative to, relative to the rest of this league, is his ability to read out... And sometimes he's even a little bit opportunistic, but his ability to read out situations where he can use his quick speed and quick pressing to win the ball. And that doesn't work when you're a sitting defensive midfielder alone. Because what happens is, Fred reads a situation and leaves a sea of options behind him. And fundamentally what that means is, you have two choices, right? Fred either doesn't make those actions and loses a lot of utility in his game, or he does and you leave space in behind. And for those reasons, I basically just don't think it's beneficial to be playing him in this role. The other thing I will say about this performance from Fred is, and I saw this in the second goal when I watched it back, because you sent me the goal and said, this is catastrophic from Fred. And I said to you, I saw that the second it happened. The thing I did see was, it seemed like he was the only player there, and there were more than one, if not more than two, Brighton players around him. And I think what that alludes to is the fact that the two players in front of him are also not quite fulfilling their roles defensively in this system. A big problem last season when... Rangnick was trying to implement the 4-3-3, a big point of conversation. The two eights that play in front of the defensive midfielders are the ones who are, A, from the front line, them messing up in pressing situations is the most disastrous because it opens up the pitch entirely for the other team to play through. And one mistake from one of those two players can open up the pitch. And the second thing we talked about is how they're the two who not only have to make the best decisions, but have to lead the press. Um, I don't think McTominay or Bruno did an effective job of screening Fred in this match. And I do think if Fred had played in one of those two roles, he would have done a better job. Yeah, um, I, gener- I, I agree. Um, I do think it wasn't just the fault of the of Fred and, uh, rather McTominay and Bruno. Overall, the press was just weird in this match. Brighton went long rather than playing from the back a lot of the time. Why they did that, there's a couple of different popular hypotheses, but what wound up happening is United just didn't wind up in pressing situations very very often. And then when they did, I felt they were weirdly wide. Like if you watch the, the second goal that we conceded, you'll see four or five players are in uh, Brighton's, final, uh, Brighton's third pressing, but then the rest of the team is just... Now, I don't mean this like vertically wide. They were like width, width of the pitch wide, which which I think no matter how well uh, those other midfielders screen Fred, you wind up you you just can't press effectively in that way, in my opinion, uh, or at least I you rarely see it happen. Um, and so yeah, I agree. Fred wound up isol- wound up isolated, but I still think uh, for the most part. It was systemic issues and his own fault. For sure. I think sort of my point of contention is 
Brighton especially are a team that play a lot of central midfielders and circulate between them. And they're also play a, a team that are really good at sort of drawing men out and then breaking lines. So create, like basically, sometimes it even looks like their movement is like pulling the lines open for a pass to go through. And it just felt like, I don't know, I don't think it was necessarily Bruno McTominay's fault individually, but I think it was way too easy, whether because they were overcommitting, losing the ball in bad areas, or just not dropping quickly enough, or pressing when they should have been dropping. And I just felt like the lines were opening. It was too easy to get multiple players running at Fred multiple times in this game. Uh, Point taken, I, I definitely think there's plenty of work to be done. I don't think we got to see the best of or much of the press in this match. But yeah, that'll be an interesting thing to see how it transpires going forward. Pretty much agree. I Yeah, it's too early to judge in terms of evaluating the suitability of players to the system. Just thought it was a point that maybe contextualizes a little bit of why Fred struggled so much. And I think other players would also struggle in those situations, even though Fred was particularly bad at dealing with them. Um, Let's end on a little bit of a high note, I think, at least. I thought the back four was pretty good. At least three of the back four. Um, I was pretty happy with Lissandro and Maguire's performance, and I thought Dalo was pretty good as well. I saw a lot of criticism of Luke Shaw, and honestly, he wasn't the main point of attention for me watching the game. Maybe talk a little bit about the back four, how they dealt with these defensive situations, how maybe it's by time you break apart the entire midfield, it's kind of impossible for a back four to stop any situations. And maybe a little bit about how, whether you think they could have done better in a lot of situations or whether you thought they did the best they could for the most part. Yeah, so real quick, Dallow I thought was fine, like not wowing. He, he had some, uh, this is getting offensive, but he had some ball losses that I thought were suboptimal technically, but defensively I thought he was fine. A lot of people felt he was at fault for the first goal because he didn't uh, put pressure on, on Trossard. I think that that's a really debatable point. And you can also visibly see him tell McTominay to go to ball rather than him going to ball. And I think that's actually the right choice. I think it actually should have been McTominay who pressured him. But ultimately what that's actually down to is how you drill those situations. And I don't know how United have been drilling those situations this summer or if they've been drilling that situation at all. Um, So it's kind of tough to assign blame there. Otherwise, Dallow I thought was fine. McGuire I thought was fine. Uh, I thought Lissandro was quite good aside from two moments, but I didn't think either of them were really problematic. And then I thought Shaw was fine as well. I thought more of his issues were going forward. But yeah, that's a different conversation. Yeah, I, I'll also add for the first goal, I think... So I think a lot of people are blaming Dallow for the first goal and Maguire for the second one. So for the first goal, I'll just say that the ball was essentially allowed to go through the six-yard box, and I think a more proactive goalkeeping action could have prevented it, is what Agreed. I'll add. And for Maguire in the second goal, I think it's really harsh to criticize him for this. What basically happens is, because Fred gets beaten... You have a situation where a through ball goes into, I believe it's Welbeck again, and you have really quickly three Brighton guys push the last line aggressively. And Dalo is off the last line, which leaves Maguire, Lissandro, and Shaw, I believe, to deal with the situation with three guys. And Maguire is the one who's on the leftmost guy, so he's the one who's closest to the ball when it goes in behind on the left side. And Maguire has to choose to either leave the man he is currently occupying unmarked and try and approach the ball or mark the man and hope that 
the player on the ball can't get through and make a delivery. So I think he deals quite well with that overall. Like I don't, once you end up in 50 fifties like that, you're basically depending on the attackers not being able to execute and Brighton executed and scored. So I don't think you can really put anything on Maguire for that. Yeah. Uh, I think there probably will be points of this season where, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be points of the season where Maguire's limitations mean we're we're criticizing him here, but I don't think this is a match where he performed poorly. So it's also a pretty tough striker for like this is the type Welbeck's the type of striker I would expect to give Lissandra and Maguire problems. So the fact that they were mostly unproblematic, I think, is a pretty good sign. Fixing the issues with transfers. Let's talk a little bit about the transfer rumors, starting with our favorite player, Frankie De Jong. How do you think Frankie fits uh, in terms of fixing the issues specifically that we've talked about today, helping United in build-up? Um, I'm not sure Frankie's much of a press-resistant ball carrier, so I'm not sure about that one. Just just so you guys know, Aaron is grinning like a madman right now. He thinks he's funny. <laughs> Being serious for a minute here, how specifically uh, do you think Frankie fixes this, and do you think it maybe opens up, like we said, Fred moving further forward and maybe not moving Erickson, one of the most experienced players in the team, into a role where he's completely unfamiliar. Yeah. I think it fixes most, if not all, of the build-up issues uh, that we saw on Sunday. Not all of the build-up issues... From midfield specifically, right? From midfield specifically that we saw on Sunday. And there's going to be more issues, I think, that are going to show up later that it doesn't necessarily fix. But I think he's probably not just available on the market, but probably... Like one of the three, I'm not even sure if there's a better one. I think he's probably one of the three best ball carriers that there are in football. And so I think if you can acquire him, he's so comfortable under pressure. He's so comfortable turning on the ball. Um, I think just the other day, he, he turned what was like functionally like a good pressing trap into... Oh, that was ridiculous. The most ridic- one of the most ridiculous runs on the ball I've ever seen. Uh, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it was beautiful. Yeah, I, I think if you can get that, uh, it makes a massive difference. But it's kind of pie in the sky at this point in the summer, right? Like it's like hopefully it happens, but we can't hold our breath. We have to look in other places. So well, the number one question around Frankie is whether he'll get paid. But the number two question around Frankie is defensively. I honestly think he's a pretty good positionally from a defensive perspective. Um, he's not an active defender. He never has been. I don't think he ever will be. But I think the fact that he's stronger positionally maybe opens up for other more erratic but better ball-winning United midfielders to play in front of him and perhaps make a good midfield where you have a little bit of holding and a little bit of transition ball-winning in early on or proactively. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think broadly I agree. I, I think he has been active defensively in the past, and I agree Probably Barcelona fans have the wrong perception of um, his defensive ability, uh, but but 100%, I see a balanced midfield uh, starting with Frankie. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, until Frankie either doesn't get paid or gets paid, um, I don't know which anymore, United can't sign him. So we've been seeing options of... As usual, completely different profile, completely different age, completely different league, completely different team, completely different history. The most prevalent link this week has been Adrian Rabio. 
thoughts on how Rabio fits? Do you think Rabio could be a viable Frankie alternative? Do you think he be a, could be a viable Frankie partner? And do you think he could be a viable signing? I don't think Rabio makes us significantly better. Basically, what he is is this big dude, uh, pretty uh, capable ball winner. I think he's probably a better positional defender than the guys we use for ball winning, like McTominay and Fred. Um, so he's a, he's a big body. You can throw in midfield who's a pretty good ball carrier. He's definitely more comfortable turning on the ball than Fred and McTominay are. But at the end of the day, I think he's a super limited uh, player technically in general. I don't think he's a great passer. Um, I don't think he's very creative. Uh, at least he's positionally versatile. Uh, he, he's played in a lot of different midfield roles. He's something. I think the concern is um, the politics of him coming in. Um, also, the fee. I, I, I don't think it's much to get excited about, but he certainly adds something. Like it, we, United are a better football team if they do acquire him. I'm not sure it's worth the social and financial costs. I think... Half the midfielders in Europe's top five leagues at this point make United a better team. My concern is when you go... I think it's kind of strange because if you looked at Rabio or the equivalent of Rabio at sort of like a mid-table Serie A club who was earning modest wages and had a good ball-winning season, uh, he's an okay carrier on the ball, um, I think you would look at that and say a lot of people would be linking him with big moves. Where I'm concerned about this is it looks like, to me, a very quick way to add more erosion to an already eroding squad. I agree. I agree. What ends up happening is you, first of all, I'm pretty sure he's the second highest paid player in Serie A. So you end up adding an extremely highly paid player who is not an extremely high luxury player. And he's also not young. He's not old, but he's not young. So what ends up happening is you just have, you have a 30-year-old on a contract where it's hard to get rid of him and United have about 10 of those right now that we could name and none of them were real are really going to be involved this season which is ridiculous. Yeah. He's he's only 27 but point taken by the time a contract runs up out he's 30. I I agree. I agree. I think it's a I don't get it. All right, well speaking of I don't get it, 60 million pounds for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, the link that has happened every single year. Um, Link is literally in his name. That's why he keeps getting linked to United, maybe. <laughs> Talk to me about Milinkovic-Savic. I don't see it. I think he's just he's just not a defensive midfielder. He's sort of like a like somewhere between McTominay and Pogba, in my opinion. Um, I think mean, he is good, but like it's just not really anything different to what United already have or need. Yeah, I think he's like a Pogba light. Um, that's putting it like that's really oversimplifying things, but. To the extent that he is very talented physically and technically, but doesn't play the position you need or have the skill set you need, Pogba, look at it, Savage. They're one and the same in, the, in, in that way. So don't get it at all. Uh, we'll not be particularly excited about it if it happens, because I don't think it solves our problems. All right. I have made enough bad jokes about possible central midfielder signings this week, both on and off the podcast. <laughs> And with that, I think that's all we have for today. So I'm hoping we see a little bit more from Brentford in terms of um, 
in terms of what United can do and maybe some more clues and some fixes from the Brighton game because I think there are potential for fixes even if signings don't come in. One thing before we go, lineup prediction. Do you think anything changes for, for Brentford? I hope things change. I'm okay with the back four. It might be interesting to see if Malasia gets a start. I'm okay with the front three, I, as in I think all of them will play, but you might see Ronaldo for Fred or McTominay, but I don't know. It's hard to say. I would like to see a different midfield. I think it's worth it at this stage of the season and of the rebuild to try different things if one thing isn't working and not persist with the same thing over and over again in terms of personnel and just cycle through this team a little bit more. I agree. Um, I'm hoping Malasia, uh, maybe, uh, but I don't think that's a priority. I'm hoping Erickson deeper in midfield. I do think that's a priority. Uh, maybe Donnie, but I'm not holding my breath. And then, yeah, obviously you hope one of the strikers gets healthy. I'll just add that I, I think Erickson's a waste up front. Like, he, his strength relative to the rest of the squad is definitely his ability to get on the ball and do things with the ball in all regions of midfield from back to front compared to the rest of this team. His strength compared to Bruno and Donnie is not ability to get in goal scoring positions. Um, Agreed. And I'm against, I'm generally against playing central midfielders at nine, but if United are going to play a central midfielder at nine, it should be Donnie. Agreed. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you next week.